welcome to the Emotional Happiness Podcast with That Anita Live. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll subscribe and hang out with us every week. I'm Anita, your host. And this week on the show, I interview Liz Sands, rape survivor and victim's advocate. Liz is here to share with us the tips and techniques she used to overcome her traumatic experience. Thank you again for listening. Now, without further delay, here's the interview. Welcome to another episode of That Anita Live, emotional healing for you to create a happier life. I am Anita, your host, and today our topic is rape. Being forced into any situation is never a good feeling. Being kidnapped, confined, and raped at gunpoint is the story of this resilient woman. The Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network reports that one in six American women will be the victim of rape or attempted rape. 33% of those women will contemplate suicide and 13% actually attempt it. But standing stronger than ever and here with us today to share exactly how she fought her way back to a place of emotional health and healing is rape survivor and victim's advocate, Liz Sands. Hi, Liz. Hi there. Extraordinary. (laughs) Amazing. To say the way. Awesome. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Is what I think when I read your story thank you because one well let's just let's get into it because sure you were 17 yes home alone yep and two men entered your home at gunpoint yes that's correct we lived in a neighborhood where you didn't lock your doors it was very much like any suburb, if you will, that you knew all your neighbors and you knew everyone around you. So it wasn't even a thought in my mind to, to feel like I even had to do that kind of thing. I, grew, I mean, I grew up the same way in South Carolina. Doors were always open. Oh, yeah. All of the kids ran in and out of all of the homes. Oh, yeah. So nothing like that ever crossed our minds either, which is why I cannot imagine <laughs> how terrified you were. Yeah. Once they removed you from the home, like how? So what happened, um, I was upstairs uh, just on the computer doing what a 17-year-old does, chatting with friends, and I turned around and we'll call guy one, was standing in the door with a gun pointed at me. Um, Turned around and kind of just froze, like pure shock. Um, I can close my eyes right now and see him like in the hallway. Um, And then guy two searched the house, I think looking for anybody else that might be home. And I said, like, my parents are out, my brother and sister are out, things like that. No one else is here. And they had actually asked to take my mom's car. And I always laugh. I was like, no, she doesn't share her car with me. So they took my car and took me in my own car and then um, drove down the street and picked up their car. So guy two got out and guy one drove me in my car. At any point while you were driving, did you think to like maybe put yourself in, in more danger or to risk losing your life by trying to get away or to drive off versus following? No, well, so they had a t-shirt they grabbed while they were inside the house and put that over my head so I couldn't even see anything and I knew the gun was on me. So I think if the gun wasn't involved, maybe I would have fought more, but mm-hmm. that kind of froze me from really doing a whole lot to fight my way at that point. It was more of just pure shock and, and not sure what to do, but moving, me trying to escape seemed like not the right 
kind of right, angle right, to go. Right, right, right. <laughs> Not sure what to do. I remember um, eventually at one point they let me sit, the one guy let me sit up and I tried to memorize the license plate number in front of me and I kept thinking like if I can remember this at least you know maybe it'll help down the road. I don't know. I think yeah, I was yeah. just pure shock and good thought. Yeah, <laughs> trying to react to the situation as best as I could. I mean it probably. It- it's 100% better thought than what I would have had because I would have probably just been cussing and screaming <laughs> and had no control during the situation whatsoever. So, and that would not have been helpful. <laughs> I talked a lot. <laughs> Shocking. And I actually was told after the fact that by befriending them a little bit, it humanized me mm-hmm. and maybe prevented them from actually killing me in the end versus just leaving me, which is what I was told. I mean, pure instinct, not that I was actually thinking that by me just being a 17-year-old talking about 17-year-old things, that it would actually save my life. I had no idea. Just instinct. <laughs> Great instinct. <laughs> Lucky instinct. I don't so, guy two got out, mm-hmm. and then what happened? So, we drove probably for about, um, I mean, I kind of lose track of time a little bit in that process. Um, drove for a while, eventually parked at what's considered like a big hunting, camping, fishing area where there's just a whole lot of it's a lot of wooded area too mm-hmm. so i could hear water so i knew we were close to like one of the rivers or streams or something and at that location once they parked for a while and got out that was where the first um, rape happened was outside there in the parking lot of one of the areas um after that they put me in the back seat of the car where then with the shirt over my head so i don't know if one or both actually raped me but it was i mean i don't know how long that went on for eventually whenever that was done they put me in the trunk of the car and then drove off and actually drove for a little while and then parked the car somewhere else. So they left me in the trunk of the car in the middle of nowhere in this wooded area. And essentially we're like, we'll see you later. Uh, So in my mind, I thought that they were coming back. Um, It took a while, like I think I probably blacked out or was out of it for a little while and I woke up and realized like I was still in this trunk. I needed to get out. Um, And I just got in the car recently and they showed us that there was like a lever you could knock the back seat down. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, I just have to find this silly lover to get me to the backseat of the car and eventually found it. And survival and <laughs> preservation. When I found the lever, I um, knocked it down and daylight came in. So I realized I had been in there. I think the time that had passed was a lot longer than I think I even realized. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I climbed out and sat in the backseat. And in my mind, I kept thinking they're watching me because they never they kind of said, well, the last comment was, of, we'll see you later or something along the lines of like, they could still be around. So I sat in the back seat for, I don't know, a little while and kept thinking like, well, if they're watching me, they're going to see if I escape. So I climbed back in the trunk, sat there for probably, I don't know, 10 minutes. and was like, well, this is stupid. In my head thinking, this is silly. Like, I'm just waiting for what? So I got out and there was like an open field and then like woods. So I proceeded to go into the woods to run. Um, at that point, I only had a t-shirt on and my underwear. Um, survival and April techniques. In, Hold in the Midwest. You, you and me, survival <laughs> techniques. Because you, you didn't lose, like totally lose control of no. your responses. You didn't. Somehow, some way, <laughs> by the grace of God, I don't know. <laughs> you, re- you remembered the latch in the back of the car that would release the back seat so that you could crawl out of the trunk. You, all of that in and of itself, and then at the time you were 17. I'm very familiar with the way that you grew up because I grew up the same way. It, it's, it's kind of an incubation in a shelter because you know everybody around you. Mm-hmm. You know all of your neighbors, you're in and out of their houses. It, it's a very protective feeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you don't know it while you're growing up in it. 
No, no idea that you live in kind of a little bubble. Right, right, <laughs> right. But yeah. you and the survival techniques that you just described are like over the top amazing compared to growing up in such a, a comfortable bubble. True. You don't ever, there's no way you'd ever even think to know how we to. We weren't taught those no. things. They didn't happen around us. No. What, what would you contribute that to? I don't know. You know, I, you know, it's funny. I read a book not too long before it all happened mm-hmm. where a girl was kidnapped and taken and she mm-hmm. escaped. And I kept thinking in my mind, I, if I could be like her and I could just get out and run, I could, I could survive if I could just find a way out. And so I think in my mind, I was like, I need to be like this character and just keep running. So I don't know if that, like, for some reason, the timing of reading that book and then when everything happened, I don't understand it. But I just kept thinking to myself, if I can be like that character and get out and run, then I'll, I'll be okay. I'll get there. Like in my mind, though, I didn't think anyone knew I was missing either. I forgot about the other half that my parents were probably looking for me. And like all that was that community that you talk about mm-hmm. was aware that I was not home. Right. Um, I was like, well, maybe I'll tell my mom and my sister and, you know, like I'll tell my family. But I didn't have the, the weight of what was really happening to me wasn't present in my mind at all. It was more just survival. <laughs> Get out. So you, you got out and you ran along, ran along the wooded area. Mm-hmm. Hoping they wouldn't see me. So then I found, I could hear a road in the trunk, but I knew it wasn't like right where I was. So I ran until I eventually hit that road, but then I still didn't want to be on the road. So I went up a hill and ran through the woods till I found um, like a shooting range where men would go to, you know, there was a couple of men there that morning just doing their morning shooting. Um, and um, they had seen me running and thought I was a jogger. And then I obviously like, ran up to them and they realized quickly that I was not just a jogger out for a morning run and, and shared with them what had just happened. And so then they called the police and ambulance and everything started kind of just, you know, the ambulance showed up and they were taken to the hospital where so, they did. So did you feel a rape once, kit and everything once like that? that began to unfold, mm-hmm. did you just feel severely overwhelmed? Yeah, I think I was in a state of shock, like just relief that I had found safety, but then that surreal feeling of like, this really didn't just happen. Like, as I'm saying the words to these men, like this just happened to me, it, it I, I can't, I, I, the weight of it still doesn't even make sense sometimes. Like when you're saying it out loud, <laughs> like this just happened. <laughs> but, you, but you do see and understand how brave and how extraordinary your response was to be under such pressure. I think so, yeah. <laughs> now, what did you find out was happening in your neighborhood in parallel to you being missing? So, come to find out, um, there had been a huge uh, car accident in the area that night. So my parents initially thought maybe I knew someone in the car crash, that I had gone to the hospital to help a friend. When they realized that wasn't anyone I knew, um, they called like my boyfriend at the time and his family and then other good friends that I was supposed to be with that night and just started kind of piecing together like where I was. I'd visited a friend at work. I'd gone and done a few things. So like there were certain people I had contacted that night that they were like, okay, have you seen from her? Have you talked to her? And then that spread to like all the other parents. So then there was a group of people at our house waiting and looking for me. Um, and I think they were planning at daylight to start really like searching. And at that point, that's when I, early in the morning is when they found me. So then they were able to like- Everybody rushed everyone, out to the hospital. Yeah, so my brother was in college. He drove up from college to come be with us. And like everyone was there kind of um, there for support. And, and then afterwards, like the, the inflow of gifts and meals and just the village that comes together to support you is just phenomenal. It's mind blowing. It really is. It's amazing. Do you have effects now 
Oh yeah. Some <laughs> that period. Oh, absolutely. I don't live, I, I, um, I don't live a day that I don't think about it. It doesn't impact me in some way. Um, I technically have post, you know, PTSD and things like that. So little things can trigger concern and worry. So um, now when PTSD, because mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a big and, thing and yeah, <laughs> gives you the feeling of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So when that anxiety comes flooding in, how do you handle that in the moment? Um, so it depends on what situation, how it comes in. I like to, well, I found that running has been a good, good therapy for me. Okay. Um, I did go through counseling for many years, mm-hmm. which I found talking about it and just having a conversation with someone, not a family or friend, but a third party was really good for me because okay. I could be very honest about what I was going through and, mm-hmm. and open. Um, and even now, sometimes it's just, I have to kind of step back from the situation and just kind of get, distract myself in any way I can to kind of think past it. So. Okay, so you you use uh, either distraction or or deflecting. Mm-hmm, usually. To, to manage that, that PTSD. Mm-hmm. Because I know some people that will, they will stop where they are and then they'll try to uh, breathe slow, think of something else, and count to maybe 10 or 20 mm-hmm. before they you know, move on with their day. Mm-hmm. I could, sometimes that happens. It's just, you have to take a pause and stop and check what's stressing you out and causing it. And mm-hmm. then realize it's probably not worth the, the stress or the time that it's taking of your day. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll be right back with the rest of Liz's amazing story. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self. It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. And we're back. Our topic for today is rape. I'm Anita, your host, and we have the amazing Liz here today with us sharing her extraordinary story of survival and growing to become a fierce victim advocate by sharing her story and helping others. Thank you. Um, Initially, a lot of women would have tried to minimize and keep what they had experienced to themselves and Mm -hmm. just to their family, just out of embarrassment and shame. Did you ever feel that way? Oh, yes. I I still, I mean, I think I still struggle with that a little bit. Um, I couldn't do it completely because of the fact that it was very public what happened in the town that I lived in, just because everyone was new and knew you and knew, you know, knew that I was missing. And so a lot of ways it was very open in that community. Um, but once I got into college and I went past that, it was always kind of like a topic that this was a huge part of my life. How do you 
bring that up when you just meet someone for the first time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, this crazy thing happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, and you don't know how they're going to look at you. You know, are they going to think of you differently? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to react to you? Know, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be treated any different. Like, it's unfortunate that this whole situation happened, but I don't want it to define me in a way that people are going to look at me and go, well, let's not invite her or include her because, you know, you never know how she's going to handle something. Right. I don't, I don't, I worry but about that. While you were in college, the detectives called you with a match. Yes. Did yeah. you hesitate at that time to go forward? No, not at all. Not for one second. Go ahead, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, they called over summer break and said that in order to, they had pulled DNA when they did the rape kit, but they couldn't test it until they had someone to test it against because there's so many rape kits that need to be processed until you have a valid suspect, they won't run it. Um, so eventually they came around, they had these two guys they thought might be it. So they're like, we're gonna run the DNA. Um, they did, and it actually did not match the two men that they were looking at. They actually matched a guy who was already in prison because um, they keep DNA on file when someone goes to prison. So. They then came to me and said, you know, we've got a hit on our DNA. It's someone different. Here's a lineup. Can you pick guy one out of the lineup? So I had to look at 10 men two or three years after the fact and ID the right guy. And I picked the right one out of that one. For guy two, I didn't see him very much, so I didn't pick the right one there. But I was able to ID the first guy out of it, out of the lineup in college. So it kind of reopened all this to, mm-hmm. to go to a trial then after that. Did you have to attend the trial and testify? I did. Yes, I had to get up and share my story in front of uh, him and all the, the jury and put it all out there and, and be, you know, <laughs> vulnerable and relive it all in front of the man that did it to me. So it was a, it was a challenge, but one I knew I had to do. And I had family, obviously, the supportive family there and friends to... That, that all, I, mean, I imagine half the town went with me. <laughs> there was a good support there, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Because it happened over summer break. So it gave you a chance to, one, be at home and not away at school. So you had that loving circle of family with you. So the actually, we did the initial ID in, in the summer, and then I was actually in school when the trial oh, happened. So it was okay. during a semester that I had to take a week or two off school to go home. And, and actually, when the trial date actually happened was when I was in school. So, But there was still, I mean, we're very fortunate to have yeah. strong family and friends. You mentioned that almost immediately you did start counseling and was in counseling for a number of years. What else occurred that helped you begin to normalize your life again? Um, For sure, counseling right away. Um, That was the first step. Mm -hmm. And um, talking to her about it and and understanding that, I think, I don't know if a lot of other people feel this way, but when this happens, you you question everything. Like, why me? Why did, what did I do? What could I have done differently? Why did they pick me? Like, all those questions come flooding in and having someone to reassure you that, A, you can never think like them because you would never do such a thing. B, you'll never have an answer to that. And just finding, like, that was the good step to get me in the right process. And then the college I went to was very... um, open to um, those kind of discussions. So take back the night in different organizations. Mm-hmm. I could get involved with that and find a way to kind of share in that that realm that brought some normalcy to it. It didn't make me seem like just the only one kind of feeling. And then you mentioned to me during the break, you said your sister mm-hmm. slept on the floor in your room. Oh yeah, I had her support from day one. She didn't leave my side the minute I got home. And What's the age difference between the two of you? Um, two years. So we're wow, very close. Yeah, really <laughs> close. Yes. So, but you had separate rooms, mm-hmm. and then once that happened to you, she just latched on and never wanted to. Yeah. 
she was there by my side and we used to joke if I heard a weird noise in the house and it scared me, we'd go grab like knives out of the kitchen and <laughs> search the house. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. and she knew like the look, she knows the look on my face if I get frightened by something and she's there like instantly. How did your brother handle it? Um, probably differently cause he wasn't home. And more like the protective, like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. after the trial and he was found guilty during the sentencing, the family was allowed to speak. And hearing my brother speak was more of the brotherly, almost ang- more angry mm-hmm. and um, just mad that he couldn't, he, A, wasn't there because he was in college, so he wasn't home, and B, just that protective, like, yeah. instinct came out. You also you mentioned to me in your bio um, that along with PTSD, you have hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the... So that is like, if I hear any kind of weird bump, creak, whatever, mm-hmm. I hear it a mile away. I don't... Um, I, I joke that I have a big dog because he'll hear it as, as soon as I hear it, mm-hmm. if there's anything at night. Um, I hear every sound. I'm not a light... Like, I'm a light sleeper. I know when everything is going on and if something doesn't sound right, my instincts kick in mm-hmm. and... I instantly have to like search my surroundings. Yeah, because people that have been through traumatic events mm-hmm. have a heightened sense of self-awareness. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the training, um, especially here in the DC area, a lot of the training that we get in our work locations and our job sites talks about, you know, if you see something, say something, and mm-hmm. being vigilant. And um, I, you know, I, I joke with my coworkers sometimes and say, you know. I've been through traumatic events and there are things that I noticed that they never see. Mm-hmm. And I may ask like, why are there chains on the doors? Like mm-hmm. um, it, they put <laughs> taps on the doors so that when the door opened, the wind wouldn't completely blow it away. Okay. My coworkers had not noticed that at all. I notice it immediately. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like you just, you, I, I notice people's faces right away. Yes. I notice. I'm, yeah, everything I pick up. I almost, sometimes I pretend like I'm not completely aware because like if I meet some first time, I'll remember your face and your name probably instantly. <laughs> almost. Nine times out of ten. Even if you don't remember me, I probably will at least remember where I met you at some point because yes. I I can't help it. But then I don't want them to think I like really like, I don't know, I don't, sometimes it's a little creepy when you know someone too well and you've only met them once. But I'm very, like the details, kind of those kind of things. I Everything that's, anything that seems out of place, I'm on it. And that's, it's just sure. a byproduct of the mm-hmm. experience that you've gone through. So it's, it's nothing odd. No. And it's actually, <laughs> it actually helps to protect you. Because I know in situations that I've been in, it's protected me a number of times. So mm-hmm. I can you know, imagine for some others out there, if they just lock into that, instead of trying to think that it's odd and it's a characteristic that they should do away with. Sure. If they feed it and learn to you know, manage it is mm-hmm. actually something that will help you protect yourself in the future. Absolutely. You know everything that's going on around you. At all times. Yeah, at all times. <laughs> at all, all hours, times. all times. There were two techniques that you mentioned that help you emotionally heal. Mm-hmm. Running was one of them. Mm-hmm. How do you feel running actually helps in that process? I. It's one of those things that when I do it and I have that ability to release the stress and the tension and the weight of everything that's riding on me, mm-hmm. I feel like a different person. I don't, there's just one of those things, like it's my go-to stress reliever, even if it's just, or just any kind of exercise that gets out that anxiety feeling mm-hmm. and gets my good, you know, the heart pumping and the blood flowing and it just gets you into a better state of um, like mental state. It just brings that stress relief on for me. Does it actually feel 
like in emotional or in, in anxiety relief. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I always get people joke with me all the time, like I'm that crazy runner person. But to me, it may seem crazy to them, but to me, it's totally like my sanity saver. You know, people say, why do you run? I'm like, for my mental health. Like it truly does help me. It just, it's just one of those things that I found to, and the irony I find in it that I ran to save my life. And then that's my go-to stress reliever when, you know, things are getting, you know, if I just feel overwhelmed, I can go out for a few miles and I come back feeling like a better person. I'm a better mom, a better wife, a better everything <laughs> when I've had a few. I can, I can imagine your child going, mom, you need to run today. Yeah. Oh yeah. You need to go out for a few. <laughs> How does sharing your story? help you with your own healing process? I think, and especially as we were talked about earlier, it's taken years to really come to this place. It's knowing that I can use, use this for good. And for what I've always kept so internal because I'm afraid of what people are going to think or how they're going to perceive me. But if I keep hanging on to it, then what good is it going to do? It's not going to do me any good. I'm going to just com- continue to dwell on what happened and not put it out there. And then I'm not really being true to who I am and what I've been through. And knowing that there may be someone else that has had a similar situation or feels the same way, like here I am with this big weight on my shoulders am I, and what am I supposed to do with it? Do I just keep thinking about it and not share it or do I actually put it out there and allow my story to hopefully help someone else? If, if I do that, then it's totally worth every, everything and I feel better in the end. Has anyone actually ever treated you differently after finding out that you've had no traumatic experience absolutely not it is all in my head that i think someone's (laughs) gonna look at me differently and if they do what but it's not just you we all think that we We all think that if our secret story whatever our secret story is Mm -hmm. if the world finds out if if my co-workers find out if my neighbors find out if this new circle of friends find out that i'm going to be outcast or absolutely and it never no no and people are (laughs) so kind and so loving and it, you know, then after the fact, once you tell people, you're like, well, that was kind of silly for me to, you know, in our mind, we make up all these things. Mm-hmm. And then once you actually put yourself out there and, and you start sharing with people, you realize that either A, like they actually know someone or have a similar experience mm-hmm. or B, they're just even more, um, they know you more and they mm-hmm. actually appreciate that, that you actually felt comfortable to share that with them. To share the authentic mm-hmm. you. The real them. you. You yeah. feel like you're not completely 100% you until they know all all that comes with it. <laughs> Have you ever had any uh, difficulties or reservations dating um, after this experience? Kind of, uh, but I'm fortunate that I met my husband in college and aside from him, I only had one of a really, really serious relationship. And I think that's probably for good reason. He, he is beyond awesome and respectful and, and good with all of that. The few times in college when I mentioned it to a guy, they would go running. So when I wow. met my husband and he didn't run yeah. for the hills and he was very understanding and supportive. And the only thing he always says now is I just hate that I wasn't, didn't know you then and I wasn't there to protect, protect you, you then. Mm-hmm. And he's a very protective person. So I think that's the hardest part. Yeah, because I can, I can imagine he's probably... <laughs> He probably teaches you more in the hypervigilance oh, than yes. he does downplay it. He does. And he keeps me well stocked in, in different things in the ho- house to keep me safe, like little maces and things like that mm-hmm. around just, just for my security and my sense of peace. So he's a big supporter of me. Is there any advice? Is there anything that you would say to a woman or a young lady out there that has had your experience, but is holding it in, hasn't had a rape kit and isn't telling anyone? 
Oh, man, I would just say go tell somebody. Go talk to a friend, a, a parent, a cousin, an aunt, uncle. I don't know, anybody. Talk to somebody. Tell them. Let them know what happened. It is important, and it matters. And get the rape kit if you can because you never know. I mean, it was three years after the fact that mine actually came through. So you never know when that is going to actually play into things. Mm -hmm. And just being able to talk about it and get it out there, you'll feel so much better. You'll feel like a different person. That weight will come off of you. And and the more you do it and the more you share, the better you'll feel and find that confidence in yourself. Being physically violated can leave lasting emotional scars. Even though you've moved on, are you really experiencing life to the fullest? Are you really happy with your life, living your dreams? Or are you shaping your life around your bad feelings and your fears? You can't be completely happy until you've started to heal emotionally. Reach out. You can dial 800-656-HOPE, which is 800-656-4623. RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, operates a hotline with free confidential services to help you start your journey to emotional healing. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for our next episode. Thank you to Liz Sands for appearing on That Anita Live. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this interview. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, leave a five-star review, share this episode via Twitter or Facebook, help spread the word. Tell everyone you know to tune in and download new episodes every Sunday. I'm diligently working to grow this podcast because I know it can help so many others heal. And I really appreciate all of your help. I feel you guys. I know you're out there rooting for me. You're out there sharing and making sure that everyone you know knows about this podcast and the healing effects that it has. If you need to connect with me directly, my email is Anita at thatanitalive.com. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can find me on all those platforms under That Anita Live. Be sure to meet me back here every Sunday for a new episode of Emotional Happiness, where you'll learn, you'll laugh, but more importantly, you'll heal. Till next time.